Our text for this morning will be back in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We'll return there for this morning's message. Now, last week we read all 58 verses. I don't think it took too long, maybe 5 or 10 minutes to read them all together. And like we said, it's one of those uh, readings that kind of just flies by because of the content. But you don't have to worry, we're not going to read all 58 verses again. We're going to pick up in verse 40 and go through the end of the chapter. So, 1 Samuel chapter 17, we'll pick up in verse 40 and go down through verse 58. We'll set the scene again here in just a moment, but uh, this is the encounter, the battle between David and Goliath. And uh, picking up in verse 40, And he, speaking of David, took his staff in his hand, And chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on, and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, and ruddy, and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog, that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. And I will smite thee and take thine head from me, and I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the field, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until thou come to the valley to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Sha'arim, even to Gath, and, to, and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine, brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, Inquire thou whose son the stripling is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day and for the opportunity to come stand before you, Lord. I I ask now that you would remove the distractions from our hearts and from our minds. Help us to be attentive to the truth that is here. And take that truth by your Spirit into our hearts and into our minds, Lord, that we might uh, learn from it. It might change our lives and 
that you would do the work that only you can do. I thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. So last week we spent time in the first part of the chapter kind of setting up what was going on. And just for a, a quick couple minutes of recap, uh, we're, we're brought right on the scene of a battle. The two armies are facing each other. Israel stands on one mountain on one side. Philistine, the Philistines or Philistia stands on the mountain on the other side. In between them is this valley, the valley of Elah. And both armies are prepared. Both armies are ready. They're all in battle array. But yet they are not fighting each other. They're at a standstill. There's not much of anything going on except one man coming out into the middle of this valley and calling Israel out. That is Goliath. And we spent some time looking at him. This huge giant of a person. Nine feet tall, armor that weighs 125 pounds and has somebody bearing his shield. And all that we looked at that pretty impressive and pretty intimidating. I don't think I would want to face him in battle. And Goliath is bold. I mean, he's not out there being nice. He's bold. He's calling them out and saying, send me a man to fight with me. Whoever wins, wins this battle. Specifically, his statement that he makes, I defy the armies of Israel this day. There's no mistaking his intention. And of course, Israel is scared. The Scripture says they look at him and say, have you seen this man? Have you seen him? I'm not going out there against him. Just look at him. No one will face him except David. We looked at that last week. We saw his face, his faith. He's got a pretty matter-of-fact attitude. He shows up on the scene and says, what are you guys doing? Who is this guy? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine is what the Scriptures say. This guy's nothing. He's nobody for God. He stands no chance against God. It's already a done deal. Who's going to go out and face him? Why aren't we going out to face Him? Is there not a cause, is what David says. We learned that there's strong parallels for us today. Listen, again, just to reiterate, not to totally re-preach, but we are in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle. It is a battle of good versus evil. And there are Goliath issues that are facing us. Issues in society, lies and falsehoods that are being taken for truth. The fact that wrong is now right and right is now wrong. That's that's the issues that we face today and it's a spiritual battle. And yes, it is intimidating and yes, the enemy is bold. But the attitude of God's people ought to be that of David. Let's go face this head on because this is not a problem for God. This is not a challenge to God. God can win. And who are these that think they can change the truth of God? They are nothing. This is a done deal. There is a cause and the church ought to stand up for it. And if you want to find more on that, the message, is there not a cause, is up on the website. We don't have time to kind of rehash that all today. What it does is it brings us up to the text today. And what I want to see what the Lord has for us to learn out of this timeless story. We've heard it again and again and again. And uh, you've probably heard it applied some certain ways. And I, I want to see if those are really biblical. I want to see if that's really biblical how we usually take this. So see if the Lord will give us some understanding. I also want to acknowledge this. 
Yes, there are big issues in society. There are some Goliath issues. Homosexuality, transgenderism, uh, the, the erasure of truth from just about everything. Yes, those are big, huge issues. Not denying that. 100% a problem for us. A battle, right? But I also know in our own lives we face some pretty big things. Like our own sin. Our own failings, depression, unhappiness, apathy, temptation. And the list can go on and on, right? And that too is a spiritual battle for us, is it not? And that enemy can be intimidating. That enemy can be impressive even in our own lives so that the battle stalls with us. This battle is not just a corporate battle. It's a personal battle too at times. So what do we do Well, the Bible speaks speaks to it, and let's look back in verse 40. We see here David in verse 40 is heading into battle, and he's heading into battle with some proven weapons. That's what verse 38 and verse 39 talk about. Saul put all of his armor on him, gave uh, gave him his sword and all that, and David said, nope, I have not proven these. I can't use these. I have not proven these. I'm going in with what I know works. And we ended last message talking about there's some... Churches out there using some unproven methods, trying to look like the world or sound like the world or use worldly things to combat the world, that's not going to work. We have proven weapons, specifically the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the breastplate of righteousness and shield of faith and sword of the Spirit. Those are proven methods, proven weapons that we know what works. And David is heading into battle with those. Just like us. The way that we face the world, the way that we're going to face some things in our life, is not new methods. It's the Bible. It's what the Bible tells us because that's what's going to work. And David heads in, namely, with his sling and stones, right? David took his staff in his hand. Of course, he would always have that. He's a shepherd. And he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook or out of the valley floor, (laughs) There's a lot of people that go to this valley, take Jerusalem trips, which, by the way, I would love to go on. I'd love to see Jerusalem and all these things we read about. But one of the popular things is to go to this valley of Elah and take a a stone out of the valley floor. Oh, these are the same stones that David used. You know there's trucks that come in and and dump more stones on the the valley floor because so many people have done that. And these people they have on their shelf, they have a rock from the valley of Elah. Maybe David... Touch this one. Probably not, but you can go and see this. He just, it's just a rock laying on the, the bottom of this valley floor. He takes it up, puts it in his, his, his bag, and he's got his sling in his hand, and he goes to meet the Philistine. Don't think that's inferior. Because sometimes we read it like, oh, poor David, all he's got is a slingshot. That's not the case. It's not the case at all. This is not an unfamiliar weapon. This is not an ineffective weapon. In fact... Slingers were very common. The Israeli army that's right here with David probably had their own section of those who would use the sling. They're the snipers of that day. Highly trained, highly effective. If you read extra biblical writings, they talk about sections of the Greek army that could be so precise and so powerful they could hit an enemy from far away, break the shields and pierce armor. They were taught from a young Young age that, hey, if, especially in one whose father was part of the 
sling or a section of the army, the kids had to learn how to hit bread on top of a pole before they could eat. If they were hungry, they had to get their aim right, knock that bread off the pole. There was a recent discovery of Roman so-called bullets that would be used in the swings. This is within the past couple years. About the size of a baseball. And they could travel in excess of 100 miles an hour. That's about the, a good pitcher's pitching in the high 90s, right? So this is, you can throw a baseball about 100 miles an hour. Imagine when you get it swinging around and pitch it that way. It could travel in excess of 100 miles an hour with the force of a 44 Magnum. That could quote, per the science research, take off your head. And on top of that, they were drilled out to sound like angry wasps. So you can imagine facing this as an opposing army. (laughs) This is not an inferior weapon. It's a proven weapon that David knows how to use. And by the way, this is not inferior either. There's a lot of people with degrees and letters after their names and feelings. This is never inferior. It is deadly accurate. It is powerful. And we not, ought, ought not to head in battle viewing as well, all I've got is a book. This is all I need. The Word is alive and quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the hearts. The Bible does the work of God every time. And this is the sword with which we head into battle. It's not a broadsword, it's a dagger used precisely. David's weapon was not inferior. No, it's his proven weapon. That's what he heads into battle with. Verse 41, the Philistine came on, drew near to David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And the Philistine looked about and saw David, and he disdained him, for he was a youth, probably in his early teens, and ruddy and of a fair countenance. He's a good-looking teen, that's what he is. Good-looking little guy, and... A Goliath takes this as an insult. Verse 43, The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I'll give thy flesh to the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. This? You're going to send me this out of all of your army? This little kid with a stick? This is no problem. Just come on over here and I will destroy you. The world will have the same attitude. You understand that? You're, you're going to come at me with a book? Look at all of this scientific research. Look at all of these proven facts. And you're going to come to me with some truth out of a book that you say has not changed? You little tiny group here in this old building that looks outdated to our standard, you're going to try to evangelize this whole community? You're going to try to stand for the truth? Yes! Exactly, yes. I'm going to come at lies with the truth of God. I'm going to do the work of God no matter how people perceive it because we go with God. was not the appearance of David. It was the power that stood behind him. You understand that? Goliath's focused on the appearance. And he's pretty clear in his intentions and understand what the end goal of Satan is. Whatever tactic he might try to use, Satan wants to destroy you. Satan wants to destroy this church. And whether it's truth or, or excuse me, um, 
The attack on truth in society and and lies and falsehoods in society, whether it's trying to reach us as adults or trying to reach us, reach our kids, whether it's that tactic or whether it's attacks in your personal life, Satan wants to destroy you. He's not here to make friends. Satan is not here to make you better. He's here to draw you away and destroy you. And he'll say, come. Why don't you come over here? He might not be as bold as Goliath. Come here and I will kill you. Satan might say another way. Hey, why don't you come over here and check this out? Why don't you think about this? But the end goal is the same. Understand? Satan wants to destroy us. He wants to halt any progress, whether it be in individual lives or us as a body. He's going to call you out. You can't fly under the radar if you're really living for God. At some point, you take a stand for what the Bible says Satan or the world is going to call you out. And what's going to be our response? Does David say here, oh, sorry, didn't mean to offend. I'll just go back over here. Because sometimes that's what we do, right? Oh, sorry, sorry. No, I want you to see David's response has to be one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. Look what he says, verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, Okay, Goliath's nine feet tall, nine and a half feet tall, huge, massive guy. David, just a little guy. What does he say? You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day the Lord will deliver thee into mine hand. (laughs) Oh yeah, you got a spear and you got a shield, but God's going to give you to me. I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. (laughs) I don't know if David's voice was high. (laughs) I doubt it was as deep as Goliath's. But can you imagine this this little guy saying that? I'm going to kill you, take your head off you, because God's going to defeat you. Can you imagine that, Uh, uh, just watching this? Humanly, it's kind of uh, comical. But spiritually, this is awesome. Because this is pure truth. I'm not coming to you with a sword and shield. I'm coming in the name of God. And this is not a contest for God. I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. There's things in the Bible that you just really can add nothing to, and this is one of them. Look at that faith, that assurance that David has. Shouldn't we have the same God has not changed. He's still the same God. And shouldn't we have the same faith and assurance in Him? Shouldn't we stand against all that the world would throw at us and say, you can come to me with your impressive stuff. Make up all your reasons and your tricks and your thoughts and your temptations. Bring your powerful weapons to the battle because against God they are nothing. Nothing. Nothing against God. All we need is Him. 
All we need is to stand in His truth and the power of His name. Not in unproven weapons. Not in our power. Not in our ability to do anything. Simply to have faith in what the truth says and to stand on that. Because God fights the battles for us. You understand that? God fights the battles. God delivers us. God gets the victories. And there is no doubt when He does so, who was working. Just look back in your own life and the things that you've come through. There's no doubt, yeah, that was God. I couldn't have done that. That had to be Him. And it's a witness to all, loud and clear, both then and now. And so we know what happens next, right? Verse 48. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took thence a stone and slang it, and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David, therefore David ran, stood upon the Philistine, took his sword, and drew it out of the sheath thereof, and slew him, and cut off his head therewith. And the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And of course, the Israelite army now chases, and there is a great victory. One stone, one forehead, destined to meet. With a once in a lifetime connection, if you could say. What? Didn't he have a helmet? The Bible is very clear to say Goliath had a helmet. Yep. 44 Magnum, remember? There's nothing going to stop this stone. And it sank, not stuck. How does a rock sink in water? Probably not a pretty scene. It's not a... I, I remember a cartoon watching Bible cartoons, and the, the stone sticks, and Goliath goes cross-eyed and looks at it and has little curly cues and exclamation points above his head, and he falls down. No. No, this is pretty bad. It sank in his forehead. Well, what about the shield-bearer? Because the Scripture's pretty clear. Was that guy not doing his job? Or what, what was going on there? It didn't matter. Over the shield, around the shield, through the shield, the stone was going where it needed to go. And by the way, there's going to be a lot of shield bearers you'll meet in life. Those defending the causes of today. Not a problem for God. Not a problem for God. Over it, through it, around it, doesn't matter. This stone is going where it needs to go. Because it has a divine purpose. And this is to show that no one is a match for God. No one is a match for the name of God. And Goliath drops like a stone. So David is victorious, right? The army joins in and wins the battle. What a story. It speaks for us today. So you go and slay the giants in your life. Right? You slay those giants in your life in, the, in His name. That's what we usually hear, right? Is that the point of this story? Is it you? Is David and Goliath talking about you? Winning all the battles. 
I'm sure you've seen the posts and the memes and the pictures, whether it's on Facebook or whatever. Most interesting one I saw was how to defeat Goliath with a five-stone method. Because after all, he got five stones out of the brook. The five stones of Bible study, prayer, church attendance, meditation, and something or other I forgot. Probably tithing. I don't know. <laughs> you could use those five stones to defeat all the Goliaths in your life. I mean, is that it? Do you think you're David? Let's hit the pause button before we answer that question, okay? I want to address just a couple things. There's a way that we need and should study and read the Bible, okay? There's some fancy words that are attached to it, but the meanings I think we all understand. The right way to read the Bible, the right way to study the Bible or to to understand the Bible is a fancy thing called exegesis. It simply means to pull out. What is here? When we come to the Bible, we read it. Okay, what is the author saying? What was going on at the time? And and what is the original intent and the, the language and all of that? I want to pull that out of Scripture because this is God's Word and He gave the author's specific words to use, right? So I want to pull that out. We study by context and language and all of that. The wrong way to study is eisegesis. That means you put a meaning in here. You come to this thinking it's going to say, it should say, or it will say something. You already come to the text with a conclusion. And believe, it, believe me, that happens more than often that people take a Bible text and make it mean what we want it to mean. And we pick and choose and proof text away. And part of that, and probably what is the most common today, last big word, is a thing called narcissus. A narcissistic view. Everybody, anybody ever heard that word before? Called somebody a narcissist or, or uh, heard of narcissism? Basically, in a, in a nutshell, somebody who's consumed with their self. Every, everything's about us. Humans are very narcissistic, aren't we? We see the world around us as being about us. It's all about me. And we are the central figure in our life story. And everybody else, including God, is just a supporting character to my story. The world is about us, and I think we do this all the time. We all do it to some extent. Sometimes we do it most often with God. Why don't we read our Bible? Why don't we come to church? Why don't we witness? The first word is going to be one letter and it's I, right? Because I, because I don't want to. I don't have the time. I. It's pretty focused on us, isn't it? We do this all the time. And if you don't think people are narcissistic, put a post on Facebook saying, I'm sick of people treating me this way. I'm done. And you watch how many people get all up in arms because they think you're talking about them. (laughs) When you really could just be talking about people in the drive-thru at Taco Bell. They never get it right. That's like a 100% failure rate if you ever go through there. I'm sick of people treating me. Just put a taco in there, how you forget it. But people will go to the extent, well, he must be, she must be talking about me. We're all 
narcissistic to some point or another. And we do it with the Bible. We read ourselves into Scripture all the time. You see, then the Bible becomes all about us. This is a book about me. And God is all about me. And He is all for me. I am the center of His attention. I am the center of His action. And the most classic and probably sad example is using Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, to say that God is going to give you strength to win that sports game. God is going to give you strength to make money. God is going to give you strength to pass that test. Because clearly, I want that and God wants that for me. Let me make it clear, crystal clear, while God loves us, and He pours out His grace on us, pours out His mercy, His end goal, His ultimate point, His ultimate focus is not us, it is His own glory. God is God. We are not God. All praise and honor and glory is due to who? Him. Not us. And that is not selfish that God is for His glory. We could go to so many passages in the Old Testament where God says that. I am the Lord. There is none other. I am the Lord. I will not give my glory to another. I am the only God. Beside me there is none. Time and time again, He says those things. That is not selfish. You know what that is? Awesome and captivating and drawing. To think that He who spoke everything into existence and to think of all that He's done and all that He wrote is all done specifically for me, that's selfish. You see, from His call to salvation to the rest of our lives, He is calling us to His glory for His glory. He calls us to be partakers of the divine nature, to be more like Him. And in doing that, He gets the glory. It's His redemption. We don't save ourselves, do we? But God loves us so much that He provides the way. He is glorified in our salvation, and He calls us, makes us like Him, takes away our sin, gives us His righteousness. He calls us to put away the old man through baptism, to become part of our body or His body. It's His body. The church that He gave His blood for. You see who the focus of everything is? It's not us. It's God. He brings the victory. He will bring the ultimate victory. He will get the ultimate glory. It's all about Him. I want you to see this in two passages. Go to Ephesians chapter 1 if you could please. This might run against what you hear in many places. This might be a little offensive to our human nature. God is all about God. Yes, He is. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Ephesians 1 and 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ and to Himself, according, look, to the good pleasure of His will. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Do you see who the focus is? It's God. God's will. God's grace. How about Psalm 23? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Now this is talking about the Lord's leading in our life. Sounds pretty good, right? Sounds pretty good for me. Verse 3, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. For what? His name's sake. He does this for His own name's sake. To exalt to glorify Himself, to be known as the God who He is. The Bible's not about you. The Bible is not about you and how awesome you are. And as if God is on pins and needles waiting to see what you will do. This, this idea, this self-focused Christianity is so prevalent in the mainstream today. And it's had its effect to where church now is more of a consumer experience. If I could be very blunt, you've got coffee shops and bands and lights and screens and, and entertainment. And if your church doesn't have it, it sucks and I don't like it. Those old songs you sing... And the preaching's way too long. And that thee and thou, who says that anymore? Church has become more about that rather than focusing like a laser on God and His glory and praising Him. Because all of this is for Him. For by Him and through Him and for Him are all things. That's what the Scripture says. It's all about God. Praising God for what He has done. Praising God for how He leads us. Praising God for who He is and where He is taking us. Does everybody understand that? It's all about Him. And so when we come to wonderful stories like this in our text, what do we do? I mean, is that all about us? Is it all picturing us? Do you think you're David? That you can march right up to the giants in your life, the giant problems, the giant issues in society, your own sin or anxiety or depression or temptation, even Satan himself. Do you think you can walk right up and take it down in one swing? You're not David. You sling a stone and miss. You hit the window. You hit your own foot. 
you hit a fellow soldier. <laughs> you miss. And you know what Goliath does? Bumps you. You know it because it's happened. Sometimes again and again. We keep trying and we keep missing. You know what this like. You know what this is like. You ever try to fight temptation? Maybe it's not to say something or do something or whatever it might be. And we try to fight it in our own power. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then we say it or we do it, right? Until we back off and yield in prayer and say, Lord, help. You're not David. I'm not David. You know who we are? We're Israel. Huddled and scared and in need of help. Needing, listen, a mediator to go face the giant. Needing a Savior to go face the giant and do and fight the battle that I cannot. You're not David. Christ is David. It's Christ. There's so many types in Scripture of Christ, and David is a type of Christ. But listen, Jesus is the one, the only one, who with one single blow and the death, burial, and resurrection of the Gospel has defeated Satan. He has defeated sin and any and all Goliaths that we will ever face. He took it down with one stone. He has done what we cannot do. He has provided redemption. He has provided salvation. He has won the victory fully and finally. We can't do that. Christ can. Okay, so what does that mean for us? Does that like nullify and contradict everything I've just said over the past two weeks about about having faith like David or standing up as his people to, to fight this battle or, you know, standing up for the truth? And heading into battle with proven weapons? No. What it does is it adds strength to that. You know why? You remember what Ephesians 6 said about the armor of God? Actually, turn back there. I want you to see it. Ephesians 6. And verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong. What's the next three words? In the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. And the power of His might. Not yours. Not mine. His. We stand in His power. And the weapons and the armor are all about Him. It's His salvation, His righteousness, His gospel, His truth, His sword. Right? It's all His working, His power that we stand in. And each battle that we come to, we come in His power, His might, with the knowledge that He has already won the victory. You understand that? Not just against the world, Against the things that you might face in your life. The victory's already won. It's a done deal. We might have to walk through a path, 
But ultimately, the victory's won. To me, that helps strengthen my faith. It's not my doing or my work. I have faith and I let God do the work because He's already defeated the enemy. You know, that takes the burden off of our shoulders, right? You ever ask yourself, how am I going to get through this? I don't understand uh, how I can possibly survive this sometimes. How, how can we do this? Well, we can do it through Christ who gives us strength. And it's so much more than sports or money or things. I can do all things through Christ. Christ who is defeated death. Christ who has defeated Satan and any enemy that might stand before me. I can walk through that because he has already won the victory and he's going to give me strength. He has victory over the lies of the world. He has victory over the issues or the trials that we might face. They won't win. You understand that? It's not, the world is not going to win. Satan's not going to win. Read Revelation. His end is coming, and there will be those in heaven who forever sing glory, hallelujah, praise to the name of God Almighty. Because He has won, and He is victorious. In fact, they don't even stand a chance. What we need to do is stand in faith and trust Him to do what only He can do. Stop trying to sling stones. Let God work. I want to finish by reading David's statement one more time. You can turn back to 1 Samuel 17. If not, listen to how David points it out. David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. That same name is the same power we stand in. I come to you in His name. And this day the Lord will deliver thee into mine hand. I will have the victory because God has the victory. And all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. You understand that? You see the power there? David has the faith that God is going to get the victory. We know He already has, right? So we need to have that same kind of faith. Whether it's we stand, uh, as, we, as we stand and face issues of the society or stand and face issues in our own personal life, God's already won. It's God who wins the battle. God making His power and glory and salvation known. And He still does that today. And it's not because it's us versus the giants, it's God versus the giants, and God working through our faith to show Himself the awesome God that He is. And I think that's a help. Maybe this morning you feel stomped on. We all have those times, don't we? (laughs) We feel pretty stomped on and flat, like a pancake. Because I missed... And Goliath stomped me. Maybe it's the Goliath of my own sin or my own failings or whatever it may be. And feel pretty stomped on or maybe I feel scared. And 
Whatever it may be, what we need to do is step back and realize, I can't do this at all. It's going to have to be you, God. It's going to have to be you. And we let God do the work and let God get the victory He already has in Christ. You do it, Lord, because I can't. Unless you think your issues are too big for God. Unless you think anything we might face in this world is too big for God. No, they're not too big. They're just a greater opportunity for Him to show His power. So the question is, as always, do we have faith in that? Do we have faith in His ability? His victory is played out here in the story of David and Goliath. His victory is played out all through Scripture. His victory is played out time and time again in the lives of others and yes, even your own life. Beginning at our salvation, when God gets the ultimate victory over our sin, to the victories He gives us in our own daily lives over sin and temptation and failings, to the very big Goliath issues of our day, God always wins. Plain and simple. It's not a contest. We need to stand in that. Yeah, we might get a little shaken up. We might get a little scared. We might get a little unnerved. But we can stand knowing that God wins. And He will deliver us and He will give us victory. I want to close by reading to you the same passage of Scripture we closed with last time. Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians 10. Listen to what he says. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's this Word. That's the Spirit. That's the God that we serve. There's nothing that can stand against Him. So maybe we should have some more faith like David did. Stand in His power. Let Him do His work. Let Him show us the victory that He already has. I pray for faith in my own life to stand like that. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this time that we've had together. I thank You for Your Word and for the representation of the victory that You have won through Christ, Lord. I pray in my own life for faith like David that I would have greater, stronger faith in Your name and in Your ability and to see that You have already defeated the enemy. And Lord, though it may take forms I don't understand or it may take ways that I might not understand, Lord, You are working that victory in my life. Help me to see it. Help me to, to stand firm in it. And I ask the same for each one here, that You give us boldness to go to this community, to those in our lives, even to face our own failings, and to do so in Your power and in Your might. I pray that You would lead hearts as You see fit with the message and that uh, you would draw us closer to yourself. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.